Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Joe Lalo, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Lindsay Baroker. Uh, our topic today has actually been requested a few times by listeners, and we're, we're going to be talking specifically about burnout, self-doubt, and comparisonitis. But before we get into any of that, we'll, we'll start with our news, and I'll, I'll get started because I filled myself in on the file first. So uh, uh, just recently, I put out a short story anthology. I have said for a long time, I have a Patreon because I write a lot of short stories as a palate cleanser. I'll talk a little bit about that in the episode. And uh, I have said from the beginning, I don't like the idea of locking something behind a paywall. Uh, I, I would like somebody to be able to get able to read my story no matter how they want to read it. So I finally am keeping that uh, promise by releasing most of the stories that I released last year in Patreon in a, uh, uh, an anthology called Paradoxes and Dragons. And it's out now. I didn't give it a heavy marketing push because, again, I've sort of technically already made my money off of this one. This is just to, to catch the people who didn't want to support the Patreon for whatever reason. Uh, I also, uh, as I, you know, right before we started this, I was finishing up the, uh, uh, applying the editor's notes to the first of the book, year of six books, uh, Book of Deacon, book six, which is going to be called The Coin of Kenvard, uh, is, uh, just about ready to go on pre-order. Probably by the time this episode releases, it'll already be on pre-order. And that's going to be, I don't know, probably about a month or a month and a half of pre-order, depending on if I try to do some uh, uh, timed exclusivity with Apple. I've done that in the past, but usually not with Book of Deacon. Usually that's a steampunk thing. And also, I've been tiptoeing back into uh, advertising. I, I took a long break from advertising because it was not being terribly fruitful, and I was going to try to revise my entire process. So particularly after talking to Mal Cooper, I decided to do some Facebook stuff and I've got a test ad running right now. That's got really good numbers, but I'm iffy on the conversion. It's hard to tell because the volume is so low. It could just be statistical aberrations. So we'll find out as time goes on. Uh, and I'm also going to be planning a deep discount on some of the earlier books in the Book of Deacon series to try to build some momentum for, for book six release. So we'll see how that goes. I also made a fancy hardcover as a result of all of this. And it was actually the Paradoxes and Dragons book with a book. This is for the video viewers only. With a, It's got a book jacket and everything. Uh, that is a test to see how um, an anniversary edition of Book of Deacon would go. So came out pretty good. So I guess we're all set to try doing a Kickstarter to do a much fancier version of the Book of Deacon. But I've talked enough about my news. What about you? What did you use to do the hardcover? Was that just through Ingram Spark? That is Ingram Spark. I had to do, I had to learn how to use InDesign because I also have large illustrations. And up until now, I've never done large illustrations and I was able to produce a, a good file using just, I think I use Word for my stuff. But in order to have high quality illustrations, I had to move to something that was more for typesetting. And there's open source stuff, but it didn't really work with Ingram Spark. Ingram Spark is very touchy. So I had to learn a new program to do that. Or I suppose I could have hired someone, but I'm a cheapskate. So when I'm ready to do my special edition hardback, I know where to send the file yeah, to because I want to have pictures right too if I do one. Um, interesting that you're doing Facebook advertising again since talking to Mal because I have one ad that I did for... Um, we haven't had a Just Us show for a while, so I've launched my new series since the last time we all talked, uh, my Urban Fantasy series, and um, I decided to do an ad for it, not just on my 
author page with a boosted post, um, but an actual ad. And I went ahead and did the whole first chapter, which is not very long. It's fast-paced book, so maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred words at the most. And it's actually converting and selling pretty well. I'm using an affiliate link, which probably means Amazon will find out and close my account promptly. But I just wanted to see, you know, like how, how many sales I'm actually getting from that. Because especially during the book launch, you're getting sales from all these different things. And so you, it's kind of hard to tell where they're coming from. But, it, you know, it's it started at around 18 cents and it's been creeping up as I, because I extended it because I was like, let's keep going. You know, it's actually still selling books every day in my affiliate sales. Uh, so. It's still cheaper than Amazon ads. I would say definitely. I think it's at about 30 cents. Whereas Amazon ads, anybody who has bid in the urban fantasy uh, group or uh, I don't know what you call it, genre, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's like, oh, please bid $1.50 per click or more. So it's been interesting jumping into that with urban fantasy. And uh, we actually recorded an episode with me, Andrea, and KM Shea. We recorded it yesterday. I'm not sure if you guys will have already gotten it or if it's coming. So um, I'm going to try not to double up and say too much of this stuff that I talked about. We just made it all about our launches, like three different people's, how their launches went and what they did. So um, I will say that I did a pre-order of two weeks for my first book. Mostly, I was trying to get the Audible to approve the audiobook and have paperback and the audiobook available at the same time. But Audible is backed up right now. So I'm still waiting. You know, it's been about a week and a half since the launch, and they haven't sent anything. I've only heard from other authors that it's taking over a month right now to get things approved. So that's a bit of a bummer. Um, I would say that right now, and I don't know if this is, I've seen a lot of Amazon messing around with also bots again lately. Sometimes I'm seeing like, here's bestsellers and that you may be interested in. Here's books specifically that you may like. And then they also watch like way at the bottom. So possibly because they're tinkering, I really noticed that it took a long time for like, I would say about two weeks before I actually started seeing my book in all also bots for other books uh, on authors I was targeting. So just be, keep that in mind right now. If you're also launching around this time and we're recording this, I think it's March 9th today that, uh, Maybe because they're tinkering is the only reason and it'll return to normal. But it used to be you could kind of count on them coming up within, you know, a week, a few days. Um, and it's, you know, I had a bunch of pre-orders accidentally because Amazon sent out a new release alert. And then I just decided to roll with it and keep things going. So I had about 3,000 pre-orders going in. Um, first book is 99 cents. So a lot of people just you know, a lot of my sci-fi fans and epic fantasy, epic fantasy fans just jumped in and grabbed it. So as of today, a week and a half after launch, my also bots are really quite hosed. If you look at my book, <laughs> there's hardly any urban fantasy, even though I've been running ads, even though I've been, you know, trying to target authors. And, you know, it's just if you bring that many orders to the table from other genres, you know, from readers who read in other genres, I think it's just going to, especially with things being slow right now, it's going to take a while. And I, I really noticed, I've been running Amazon ads uh, to try to keep things going every day and it's been working, but I really noticed things fell off yesterday. I had an Amazon auto ad that had been spending a ton, but actually getting a ton of clicks too. Like, and then not at $1.50, it was, it's still really expensive. Like it's 80, averaging 80 cents a click, which obviously I'm not making money on a 99 cent book if a click is <laughs> one click costs 80 cents, but um, you know, page reads and I'm planning about eight books in this series. So right now I'm willing to 
spend more than I'm making on clicks and ads in order to hopefully keep the ranking up and also get some organic sales, which has been my experience that that always happens if you can stay, you know, up in the top 100 of the category list or top 20, even better. So generally for me, that's been worth it. Um, but uh, like I said, the, the also bots, you know, things are taking a while to, yeah. I'm rambling. I'll just, <laughs> let me just move on to my next topic. I, I just want to say that auto ad though, that was spending so well, all of a sudden it stopped or it went from like 500 clicks a day to like yesterday at 30. It barely had any impressions. And I was like, I thought we were doing good Amazon. What's going on? This ad was doing great. The CTR was like, you know, the recommended 0.35% or something. And it was converting. It was getting sales. And then Amazon said, nope, somebody else is going to bid higher today and they're going to get it. So I, I started a couple other auto ads today to try to, you know, get things going again. Because I, I had other ads going, but nothing like anywhere near those impressions and those that many clicks. And because of the delays, you don't necessarily know. You're just like, why am I selling so much, so many fewer books today? Huh? So... Just uh, if you are worrying about, you know, usually I hardly ever look at my Amazon ads if after the launch period. This is just this first two weeks I'm willing to go all in and pay a lot of attention in the hope that it will, you know, get me out there in enough other, uh, get the book selling basically a little bit organically on its own. All right. My last news thing is just that I'm perhaps not surprisingly reading Amazon Ads Unleashed by Robert J. Ryan. Uh, this has been recommended in our Facebook group a couple of times. And then uh, just the other day, David uh, Gogren in his email list recommended it. And I said, David Gogren says it's good. I'm going to give it a try. And it, you know, it has some good tips and it is probably the first ad book. I haven't actually read that many on Amazon ads, but um first one that's really lined up really well with my own experiences. Um, and maybe we can find Robert and <laughs> see if he'll come on the show to give people some tips. But just one tip I pulled out of there that I thought you guys might be interested in is uh, as things stand, if you just target, like if you're going pretty granular and you're targeting specific authors and book titles, um, that's good. But it will also show up on the paperback pages, your, or the, the paperback. Your ebook ad will be on the paperbacks for those books, which is not good because your paperback probably can't compete on price with the traditionally published mass market stuff. And most of us want ebook sales is what we're trying to get from advertising these. So he said, uh, instead of targeting author and title, just go even more granular and go in and grab the ASIN for the ebook specifically, and that will keep your ad from being shown on. That, that same author's books, paperback ads. <laughs> All right. Talking about rambling. Andrea, do you have any news you'd like to share with us? <laughs> um, yeah. So um, have I talked already about bringing my husband in as a co-writer to the series? I can't remember. Um, I think you just mentioned it, but maybe not said why or yeah. in great depth. Yeah. Um, yeah. I decided to bring him in as a co-writer um, because I should have just done it from the start. The series is pretty much him, this guy, except my husband does not murder people <laughs> that, that I know of. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been, it was, it's been a really, really great experience. It was a good idea bringing him in. Uh, he's already brought a whole lot of value to my Midnight Chronicles, um, but now he's doing it in a more formal way. Uh, he's able to refi revise faster than I can. Um, and since, you know, because he, he's able to do it at work when he's around projects. And then um, it makes my own revisions go a lot more smoothly, which is really nice. And then, of course, it's also fun to see his brain at work because, you know, he's, we're different. And it's, 
I usually go to him when I need ideas, you know, when I'm brainstorming and bouncing ideas off of him. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. And so now it's been fun having that get involved into the stories. Um, we're nearly halfway through edits on Raven Huntress, the fourth book in my Midnight Chronicles. And we have to have it finished and sent off to my editor by the end of the month. So that's going to be fun. Um, and then also, <clears throat> sorry, my voice is like really, I'm, I'm on the verge of crying apparently because my voice feels like it's going to give out. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is apparently my audiobook year because Discern is under, let's see, the goal for production to start is April. And then for Shade Amulet, it's May. And then I've also just gone under contract for the audiobook for Shadow Prophet. Um, and that one is, it's pretty much any time we want to start on that. He said that he's starting to be available towards the end of March slash April. And he said it would take him a couple of weeks. Um, anyway, uh, he gave me a 30 minute sample, which I've never had a narrator give me a 30 minute anything before, but it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, seriously, the best sample I've ever received. Um, it totally blew me out of the water. And I was like, we would be idiots not to do this. Um, I've been going back and forth with him for several months now. And then we finally decided with tax returns um, that we would go forward with that. And pretty excited to start on that. And so yeah, so that's gonna be three audiobooks coming out in three different series. If I could have planned it myself, I would have had it three books in the same series. But um, at least it gives people I mean, they are interrelated series. And so if they read one book, then they should enjoy it reading the others, though. I don't like jumping back and forth between series. I like to finish a series. So we'll just see how that goes. Um, and then I'm also still working on my Dragon Urban Fantasy series. I dictate it when I'm not on a Ted, tight, Ted deadline, <laughs> tight deadline somewhere else. So I've been able to put in a few thousand words here and there um, over the last couple of weeks, but not as much as I'd like to, but we are, you know, I'm dealing with other stuff too. So anyway, back to you, Joe. All right. And with that amount of busyness going on, it makes sense why it might be a good idea to start talking about burnout. Uh, burnout is a thing that affects everyone, six-figure authors included. I dare say six-figure authors ex uh, uh, disproportionately because it tends to, we tend to be hustling pretty hard to get that to, to that mark. So let's start talking about burnout. Uh, Lindsay, you're up. All right. We'll, we'll attempt to give actual tips, but um, just so you guys know, we're all <laughs> dealing with this too. So we're, uh, but I think we've all been in what, about 10 years. So it's, I don't know, if it was a military career, we'd be halfway to uh, 20 years in retirement. I don't know. So I guess we'll just talk about what it looks like for each of us. For me, I'm not, sometimes I'll get struggle with a project, especially if it's, I feel a little bogged down in it and I really want to get to the next thing. But for me, it's actually more, I get burned out with the administrative side of everything, uh, answering emails, just even going back and forth on editing, uh, going back and forth on cover art, you know, worrying about Amazon ads for my new launch. <laughs> Although it, something new, it's less of an ordeal. It's more just, you know, answering email, both from authors and from uh, listeners. There's, I tend to have to be in the right mood. I'm finding for email, it's just that's, it's almost as draining as socially interacting in person. I guess if you're an introvert, email is still dealing with other people. And I'm, I'm happiest. I think I've talked about this before when I'm like sitting on my couch with my laptop, dogs all over me, <laughs> trying to type. And I don't have any appointments or anything else I have to do. I just have a word count goal for the day. That's my happy time. And um, the farther I get away from that happy time, 
the you know the less happy I am, <laughs> the, the more kind of a grind it feels like. So I try to now schedule admin days. Like our podcasting days become a day where I often will catch up on email. Or, or today I was doing like a, I have a promo coming up on BookBub for an old book, so I have went, I was like I better go check out the back matter of that series. And of course it wasn't updated, so I was like okay I gotta update so that they can read along in the chain now that the series is complete. So. You know, some people have VAs for that kind of thing, which totally makes sense. But I'm also the kind of person that would find it just as much work to interact with another person and tell them what to do as to just do it myself, perhaps like Joe doing his InDesign formatting over there. Um, but what is, you know, dealing with it for me is just giving myself days where I get to do exactly what I want to do. And then being okay with like, maybe I don't answer email until a week from Sunday, <laughs> until I finish this project. And then, you know, I always like to be working towards something. So I have to let myself do that as much as possible. What about for you guys? For me, I've found that weirdly, uh, burnout isn't usually a function of too much work, but too few results. Like if I watch sales numbers start or like I, I watch sales numbers start to go down or I, or I notice I'm not getting as much feedback as I used to or, or as many uh, reviews or if I'm working with um, advertising and it feels like nothing I do really makes a difference. That's when I start to really feel like it saps all of my motivation. And I find that when I'm in a situation where I should be doing something that I can actually achieve at, like putting words on the page, I end up just staring at the screen and not typing. I'll just, my, my head is spinning on something else, or uh, I'll just keep on wasting time on social media and flipping back and forth between tabs. So, like, burnout is always when I feel helpless. And, and uh, the way that I usually solve it, uh, you know, to the degree that I can. There's usually two different ways that I, that I sort of tackle it. One of them is I try to take a couple hours on the weekend to write a short story completely from beginning to end. Uh, number one, it feels like progress. Like I, I did a thing. I can cross that off the list. And that's, you know, it sort of gets the, the wheel turning. But also, uh, it's usually the short story I write is usually unlike anything that I'm currently writing. So uh, if on the odd, odd chance I happen to be stuck on something, like my burnout is actually related to not being able to solve the problem in the plot that I've been working on, just working through literally an entire other plot just sort of unclogs things. It's amazing how effectively it works for me. And the other thing that I do is, again, I feel like I'm not getting anything done, and that's what burns me out. I will make a to-do list uh, and... The to-do list will contain not just, you know, 3,000 words. Good, good for you, Joe. It'll, every little thing that I have to do goes on the to-do list uh, to the point where if I'm having a particularly bad week, I'll start putting make tomorrow's to-do list on the bottom of my to-do list <laughs> just so I have an extra thing to cross off. And I realize it's completely artificial. But when I start having the list of things that I completed grow, I'm like, well, I must be doing something. And it just sort of gives me that little, you know, endorphin buzz. They're like, oh, good. I'm a happy worker today. Uh, and it's amazing how well that works. And also, uh, I find that if I like, especially if I'm, if it's been costing me word productivity, if, like my burnout is such that I'm not getting like my, my project starting to fall behind. Uh, I started, I've we've spoken in the past about the Pomodoro method where you're doing, you know, 25 minutes on five minutes off. Uh, I started doing that. It works particularly well. And originally I was doing 45 minutes and 15 because that was closer to what I was naturally doing. But recently, I just went with a straight 25 and 5. And it turns out I must be front-loaded in my productivity because I get more than half of as many words in half the time. So it's just like, I, you know, I get 800 words in 25 minutes as opposed to whatever, 1,200 words in 45 minutes. And it works out to I, I get basically a full extra session 
just doing the shorter ones. So again, little bite-sized pieces team that seem to get me through my burnout sessions. That's awesome. <laughs> the Pomodoro method actually works really well for me. I did that a lot in college where I would, you know, study for 45 minutes, then watch 15 minutes of a house episode, then study for 45 minutes. And house got me through college, I tell you. <laughs> um, but burnout happens for me, for me when I'm not sleeping well, or when more than one aspect of my life basically takes over every other aspect. So for example, if one person in my family is sick, I can usually handle things unless of course it's the baby, right? When the baby's sick, it's yeah. But if, if everyone is sick or two of my kids are sick or my husband or my kids, it just swamps me completely. Um, or if I have a business stress in more than one way. So for example, a huge promotion I'm behind on and a book I need to get finished, then it just, it, my chances of burning out are so much higher. It's a lot harder to keep that optimism just try, I do my best not to put myself in a position where I'm likely to run up against more than one thing. Um, but with, I don't know, with three kids and homeschool and stuff like that, it's, it's very challenging. It's been especially challenging this last year. And then of course, also when you have a baby who can't feed, oops, as I hit my microphone, you have a baby who can't feed himself, but needs solid foods. Meals can take anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half from prepping to feeding to cleaning up and do that three or four times a day. And that's a lot of time in a day. And of course, it's it's worth it. Obviously, he's cute. I like him and they get over that phase. But it's just a difficult phase of parenthood that I'm in right now. Um, oh, as an update, because I have been asked a couple of times, um, our quarantine with the baby should be ending in about two weeks. Um, he's gaining weight and he's sleeping through the night, which is abs absolutely fantastic. I love that. Uh, the issue though, is I have to remind myself to be patient because just because I'm sleeping doesn't mean I'm caught up. I'm still in a mental fog and I'm still dealing with that. Um, and it's mainly because I went a whole year with only getting between three and five hours of sleep a night. And you can't bounce back at that, especially not at my age. <laughs> okay. I'm almost 38. I am turning 38 on Saturday. <laughs> Joe's like, oh, you old person. <laughs> and I'm like, you young pup. <laughs> yeah, Lindsay's like, got four years on me. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, um, I did just want to say that we should mention that health is a big part of the, the whole burnout and whether you're inspired and feeling good about working or not. Obviously, not, I mean, not obviously, but sometimes it's not the, pro the project. It's just because I'm like that too, like especially a couple months or a couple weeks you, I don't know what I'm saying. A couple of days a month. We're really articulate today, guys. Sorry <laughs> we that. are. We got out of practice when it was all interviews. But, um, you know, there's always at least a few days a month where I'm just like, this project sucks. You know, nobody's going to read this. I'm not, why should I even make my beta readers read this? This is horrible. <laughs> you know. And then, you know, a few days later, hopefully you're like, oh, this is not so bad. I know how to fix <laughs> it. It's okay. It's, so that mental state certainly plays hugely into whether you're feeling burned out. Yeah. And especially, I mean, I've got, my own health challenges. I don't, you know, I'm like, I don't know. I don't talk about them. Most of my readers, a couple of my readers know what's going on, but it's just, it's been a really rough year. Um, I got my diagnosis in October. And so I've just been dealing with all of that. And it's been really hard for me to pace myself and not get impatient on one end and not get burned out on the other because I'm pushing harder than my brain is able to keep up. And I, there's a helicopter going overhead right now. So I'm going to hand it back to Joe. <laughs> Wait, you do know if you just say, I got my diagnosis and don't say anything else, 
everybody in the Facebook group is going to be like, Andrew, are you okay? Are you going to make it? Are yeah, you, I've, got, sure? I've got stage 20 brain cancer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I, it's called hypermobility syndrome. And I, it's basically in order to keep it up, like I get injured. Like I'm dealing with a very bad shoulder injury right now. I sprain my ankle all the time. I, I dislocate my knees. My joints go out of place all the time. And keeping up on it, my doctor was like, if you do not exercise and maintain a normal health weight range, you're going to, it's going to kill you because the surgeries, like I've already had 15 surgeries, you know? And so I'm like, I have to be, and, and surgery, by the way, the mental fog that comes from surgery anyway. So it's not like it's something that's new to me. It's just something I've been dealing with. Plus, I've also got Epstein-Barr, severe Epstein-Barr virus disease, if you guys know what that is. It's related to mono. And when I'm really stressed, I'll be sick for three or four days every single month. And so that's what I've been dealing with the last several months. I've just, I just can't seem to. Getting sleep really helps with the Epstein-Barr. And now that the baby's sleeping, I'm going to catch up. I'm telling myself, I'm going to catch up, okay? I'm going to catch up. <laughs> I'm going to catch up and mustard too. <laughs> sorry i'm i'm a nerd <laughs> uh, it's all right but it was funny we were actually joking joking <laughs> before we recorded uh you know because it's coronavirus time as we're recording this and how writers in particular are probably not going to want to go to conferences because we're like 80 percent of the author community has underlying health conditions it's it seems to be you're drawn to figuring out how you can work from home because you can't necessarily have a normal day job sometimes so if you're dealing with that Two, know that you're not alone. A lot of authors, it's very common to have other stuff going on. Yeah, and with coronavirus, it's like 2% of the population, but like Lindsay said, 50% of authors. <laughs> <laughs> right. It doesn't matter what age you are if you got other health stuff for things to attack. But um, anyway, oh, I guess that's actually, we were going to talk a little bit about, um, I know genre hopping, doing series uh, in different genres for me can help keep things fresh. Like I was really getting bogged down with my sci-fi, not because I don't enjoy the story still, but because it got really big and complicated and the books were getting long. So I was really happy to jump over to this urban fantasy with just one POV and very simpler, simpler, faster paced, easier to edit, all around easier stuff. But, you know, and then in a, another year, I'll probably be like, I'm ready to go back to epic fantasy or something. And, and that's one way that keeps things fresh for me as an author. Do you guys, I know, Joe, you're a genre hopper too. And Andrea, you seem to be, well, you had that, you have a romance pen name. So I guess we can all speak to this. Does it help you avoid burnout and, and stay I don't know, creative and excited about stuff. Uh, yeah, it definitely does. Uh, I I find I've I've only once in my entire career have I done two books. Oh, now twice in my career have I done more than one book in a row in the same genre. I early on I did two sci-fi books in a row, and then for the urban fantasy release, I did three urban fantasies in a row. Other than that, I'm almost always jumping back and forth between different genres, and I feel like it just sort of uses. It's like different muscles muscle groups you know it just uses different parts of the creative brain uh, and also find especially recently i've found that if i'm writing something without a huge amount of continuity to, to keep track of like something new or just something simple uh that really helps too because it's like more it's a more agile writing process there's less going back and checking you can work a little bit more loosely from the the outline it's a little bit more pantsy uh, which is funny because this is the year of six where I'm going to be writing the sixth book in three different genres. So I've got an enormous amount of continuity to haul around and therefore burnout is a, is a real threat. So hopefully the Patreon short stories things continue to keep me going. But yeah, jumping back and forth is great because it's just like you get to set everything aside and just rev up some new gears and, and 
uh, uh, work on creating something as opposed to, to, you know, you're laying down track for the train to go on instead of pushing the train, if that makes any sense. I, I really, it makes a lot of use uh, of my brain and I like it a bunch. Yes. Um, so yeah, like um, I write fantasy for all ages and I, and I didn't realize when I first started that fantasy for kids is, a, is different from fantasy for adults, but it is. And so I have found, yes, that jumping around, um, it does, it helps quite a bit. Um, I'm not able to write a whole lot of romance right now, but I spend a lot of time brainstorming and prepping for my next uh, romantic series, and it helps me take a break from fantasy. Um, the romance feels fun and fresh and even a little bit forbidden, <laughs> kind of like I'm cheating on my fantasy readers. But a lot of my fantasy readers read my romance too, which when I start releasing romance again, I'm not going to be... I'm going to remove anybody who's also on my fantasy list or cre create a completely new list. My romance list has about a thousand readers on it, and couple of those are my, I'm just going to remove them and just be like, you can find out about my romance once I've been doing it again for a while. Don't mess up my also bots. <laughs> um, but yeah, it keeps me excited about writing. Uh, if I do something like a, a nonfiction book or, or a romance book, or even a book for a kids, you know, I mean, we do a book every, almost every year this year, we weren't able to, but, um, we've done for the past six years, we've done a book with the local elementary school where those kids, they helped the characters and names and, and the plot and, all sorts of things like that. And my husband does the artwork for that book. And that's been, that's been great. It's been a really good break for me to, you know, from my adult fantasy. It's kind of interesting because uh, the authors that tend to be the most successful don't genre hop. They really focus and they stick with their urban fantasy, their paranormal romance, and often the same types of stories over and over again. But I, I often see those folks do get burned out and they're like, you know, if I have to write one more sex scene, that's pretty much the same as all the other sex scenes. And I always laugh because I feel that way about writing fight scenes. I feel like they're kind of similar. There's only so many different ways this battle combat, especially like unarmed combat is going to go. Um, um, but so maybe if you do want to really focus on one genre, which is not a bad idea from the marketing selling books perspective, uh, you know, we also see authors that jump in and do some nonfiction on the side and under a different pen name. And so that's an option too, or just take good breaks and allow yourself to do one series that, you know, is going to sell for the fans and then something, maybe you don't leave the genre, but something a little more creative that's uh, exciting you that you're not as sure is going to sell, but it maybe will keep you happy. And um, I guess we've kind of talked about this and it's kind of obvious, but I found that as long as I'm inspired, I'm excited to write and I don't feel burned out no matter how much I'm trying to do. Like when I'm excited about a new series, it's really common for me to do like 10,000 words a day for a week. And yeah. Uh, and I finish early, you know, I'm like, I remember I started the urban fantasy series and was writing those and I was like, Oh, let's go watch TV in the evenings. And other times it's like, Oh, I, I have, I'm still working on my words. I'm, I got to keep writing or editing in the evenings. Um, but to stay inspired, cause I feel like this is something authors get asked a lot. You know, I get a lot of inspiration from reading other books. Uh, they can be in my genre or not. So, and I can get inspired by like a book that's really good because it just excites me and makes me want to write. And I can also get inspired by books that I can't finish. I'm just like, uh, I might as well be working on my stuff. You know, it's better than this. <laughs> uh, hopefully we all feel that way at some point. Otherwise, why would we be writing? Um, and I also like nonfiction podcasts on the various subjects. Sometimes that gives me ideas that work in my fantasy. Uh, you know, movies and TV can be good too. But I found that I can't just wait for inspiration. That's why I don't get that phrase about like, I'm just waiting for the muse to strike. And like, I have to go out and actively seek it. 
And, and if my mind is busy doing something else, I'm not really working from, you know, I'm not thinking about my story. So I, you know, I'll just forget about it. That's how I spent like five years playing World of Warcraft and not writing anything. Like when your mind's super busy with some other activity, you're not thinking about stories and solving like how my character is going to get out of that dungeon. So I know that when, you know, I know these days what kind of things get me in the mindset to think about my story and work through any problems or maybe in the plot. And I also learn what excites me as a writer. You know, I have to have some character conflict that needs to be resolved. I have to, you know, there have to be things that I love that are waiting for me ahead to keep me excited about in a series. Um, what do you guys find inspires you? Uh, I, I likewise find that nonfiction stuff inspires me. I actually read surprisingly little fiction. I, I've, we've talked about it on the show in the past, but once I started writing full time, I tried to cut down on reading too much because I was afraid I would somehow accidentally plagiarize, which is a stupid thing. And I, I got to change that policy. But uh, it got me into reading nonfiction a lot more. And likewise, podcasts. I almost never listen to podcasts that are within my own craft. I, I listen to comedians talking about comedy and stuff like that. And you'd be amazed at how much of it you, end, you find can sort of overlap with either a character you're developing or just your own process. Uh, I also like movies, uh, particularly bad movies, uh, I find are, are really inspirational for me. Because you see somebody, so so often, watch like a Mystery Science Theater movie, and it'll be like, this is a fantastic concept that they are totally botching. How would I fix this? And you find the parts of the, of, of the premise that you really liked, and you just sort of take them, and you're like, well, I, I tack these characters on, and you end up with an entire story or a short story or whatever. So I often will seek out really bad movies and stuff, or or just bad TV. And if I, like... Can't like Lindsay was saying. If I can't finish watching it, I'm like, what was about? Uh, either I know not to do that, or I like the reason I stopped watching is because they made a decision that was so different from what I would have done. I need to see the way that story would have gone if it had gone the way I wanted it to. So I find that super duper useful. Also, I find uh, brainstorming sessions with friends who aren't writers. I have I have a couple friends who have been friends with since grammar school. And I'll just open up a chat with one of them and I'll be like, hey, listen, like I'm I'm kinda I'm kinda stuck. And we'll just talk about whatever. And eventually sometimes they'll pitch an idea and I'll like it. But more often they'll pitch an idea that I don't like, but we'll be like, oh wait, no, but that's the direction, you know? So having a conversation with with other creative people who aren't creative in the same area, it just gets a little bit of, you know, I know an IT guy, and I used to be an IT guy, and he starts talking very technical about something, and I'm like, well, that works for the sci-fi. So conversations, even if they are, even if they're with with non-authors, are super duper effective at uh, at inspiring. That's really funny because my husband and I, um, like back in the beginning when we first got married, I'd be like, I'm stuck, and he'd be like, Well, here's an idea. I'm like, I hate that idea, but it got me unstuck. And he'd be like, He's like, I didn't help you. I'm like, Well, yes, you did. He's like, No, you're not using my idea. <laughs> like, but you still helped me get over that. And I have to say, Joe, when I start, when I read your, your note about bad movies, it made me go, oh my gosh, Kindred Spirit. <laughs> we watched so many bad movies. I mean, we created a podcast based on bad movies, <laughs> my husband and I. Um, and like, so like Rift Tracks, Mystery Science Theater 3000, we watch those movies on a regular basis. And yes, they really do actually help me. I mean, if you think of it from an artistic perspective, they are painful. But if you think of it from like analyzing, like, why did they do it badly? I mean, what was it that made it awkward for you to watch Monos, you know? <laughs> Have you seen that one? 
Mono's the hands of fate. <laughs> I was quoting it the other day. I mentioned someone was had written a, a sentence that seemed like Torgo had delivered it. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Oh, I'm going to geek out. Um, no, but seriously, like, like reading books that are bad is beneficial. And a lot of people are like, yeah, but you just spewed out. No, no. If you're like paying attention, if you're a good author, I mean, if you're not a good, we have common sense. We know why something, we know when something isn't working and figuring out why it's not working um, is, is great because it helps us, you know, make our book stronger. So like there was a time when I first started writing uh, my, the key of Kalenia, I was reading a very popular book at that point at that point about dragons and I'm not going to say what the name of the book was, but I hated it. I did end up finishing that book and half of the second book and then never finished the series because I was like, oh, this is so immature. This is, and of course my own writing was very immature, but I was like, I could do so much better. And of course I didn't do so much better, but I did learn from it, you know? And every time I started writing it, it got me inspired to write, or every time I started reading, it got me inspired to write my own book. And so, um, and and as long, like, I agree with what Lindsay said, as long as I'm feeling ins inspired and excited, I can actually maintain a very swift pace and nothing burns me out. Um, it's hard when I'm expired, expired, and ins inspired. And I knew that diagnosis was worse than you said. <laughs> <laughs> it helps when I'm inspired and, it, or no, it sucks when I'm inspired and excited and like family life, you know, gets like really strong, like Lindsay with Willow when Willow was having problems, you know, I mean, it's just, it's hard. You have to work through things like that. And so, I mean, but yeah, lots of, you can find inspiration from all sorts of different places. <laughs> Willow's still having problems, but I think her leg injury is not quite up there with uh, <laughs> quarantine little kiddos that you have to worry about. She just drives me nuts. That's all. Um, so last little thing on burnout before we kind of shift to the next topic, you know, taking breaks. Also, I, I feel like we may be not the best entrepreneurs in general. I, you know, not just authors, but it seems like everybody I talked to is like, yeah, when I had a day job, I only worked like eight hours a day. It was really weird, you know, and then at five, you went home and then you goofed around in the evening and just took time off. And I feel like most authors I talk to, especially full-time authors are like, they do their writing in the morning, they do all their admin in the afternoon, and then they're watching TV with their family and working on their Amazon ads and Facebook ads on the laptop, on the couch. And it's just that you're always on. So I, I certainly find it useful to, I, I'm usually between projects is when I enjoy taking breaks, but I, I think lots of people do weekends with their family or just if you're, you know, don't have a family, you can take your weekend on like Tuesday, which is awesome because everybody else is working and you're off. You're like, yeah, this is great. Um, I do find that uh, there's kind of a, a certain point, you know, if you want to take a week or two weeks off to take your vacation, great. But if you're taking like months off, <laughs> that, may, that may be not that great, especially if you're doing something really fun or, you know, like I was talking about World of Warcraft. I know people who have gotten wrapped up in video games and computer games and things and lost months, not just myself, because then your mind is too stimulated by something else and you're not thinking about your writing. Unlike with the bad movies, because I don't know about you guys, but my mind just starts wandering and I start plotting my own stuff if I'm reading something that's not fully captivating me or watching something that's not fully grabbing me. Um, I actually find that doing like unfun things like chores and repairs around the house is a lot likely, a lot more likely to get making excited again to write. <laughs> like, okay, I put together that desk. That was horrible. I'm going to go work on my story. Now it sounds a lot more fun than it did this morning when I said day off. Yay. So, um, do you guys plan breaks or vacations or anything to keep your, you know, keep yourself from burning out? I, uh, I try to do it. I mean, you, 
people say like, oh, well, you know, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. But it turns out that uh, do what you love and nobody tells you to take a break. Like you don't need to be told to take a break from your day job if you don't like your day job. But if you do like your day job, you find yourself constantly working and you have to tell yourself to take a break. So I'm bad at it. But I find that usually if I get an early start and I get my word quota out of the way early, it takes a lot of pressure off. I just feel better. And uh, so I try to keep myself to like regular business hours as a result. Uh, it just flows better. So I, I'll try to, you know, try not to turn off my alarm too many times. And I'll try to to actually get the words written and just to feel less anxious. I don't so much take days off. I used to just not write on the weekends. Uh, and then uh, uh, what ended up happening instead was I would find myself on the weekend if I was inspired that day. And I'm just sitting there demanding that I not work. It didn't make any sense. So what I do now, which isn't the most healthy thing, but it's working for now, is I'll just sort of grudgingly accept that there are certain days I just won't be able to get anything done. So like if I haven't taken a day off for a while and I you know, noon rolls around and I've written 200 words and nothing is flowing. I'll just be like, you know what? Today is a day off. And I'll just make, I'll, I'll have a separate to-do list of things that aren't writing related. Like I'm going to do all my laundry today. I'm going to go shopping today. <laughs> like I will just call an audible in the middle of the day just so I don't feel like it was a completely wasted day. And, and that's the best I can manage right now in terms of, of, of you know, taking time off and being a little bit mindful of uh, self-care. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I'm horrible at daily maintenance. Um, I'm a lot more productive when I can take a whole day to deep clean the house. Um, and then not worry about it again for a long time. <laughs> like, oh, those toilets need to be cleaned regularly. Why? What's going on? Um, anyway, so it's just, it's better for me if I'm able to, you know, take a whole day to clean or than it is for me to take, you know, to clean every single day and then write. Um, um, I use that sort of activity basically to recharge my brain for the overall scheme. So like the whole week. So if I spend Tuesday doing cleaning activities and things like that, then it's easy for me to uh, focus the rest of the, the week. And Tuesday, I say Tuesday because my husband doesn't work Mondays and Monday is my doctor day. <laughs> it's the day we do all of our errands and house stuff and things like that on. Um, and so that, that makes it so that I can get, you know, be productive for the rest of the week if I take one day where I do laundry and cleaning and stuff like that. But if I do it every single day, um, except for little things, you know, of course, but it nearly ruins a day for me where writing is concerned. So once I get in a cleaning mode, I can't get out of it and back into writing until that cleaning is done. Um, on Saturday, I spent like five hours shampooing our couches and it was wonderful. <laughs> um, I find that I have to get those sorts of projects out of the way before I can really focus on writing again, because otherwise they just, uh, just drives me because I'm like, that gum is still on that couch from when that four-year-old put it there. And so I was able to get all that taken care of on Saturday. And then that gets that urge, that little itch taken care of, and I'm able to get back to writing and things like that. And then it's kind of like having a clean desk. Once it's clean, there's nothing left to distract me. Um, but like I said, and it drives me nuts that I'm this way. I really don't like it. I work in projects. I would rather be able to do a little bit of writing every day, a little bit of editing every day, that kind of thing. But I'm better at writing a book, revising a book, sending it to my editor and focusing while she's working on something, it focusing on something else. And then, um, getting back to another project once that book is done. And I know I'd be a lot more successful if I was writing every single day. Um, but I handle formatting and book covers and marketing the same way I set it all up in one day and then get back to writing once I'm done. 
and and I yes, I've got the baby with me. But he's being really good. He's just like, why is mommy talking to nobody? <laughs> Pretty similar to the looks I get from my dogs. <laughs> is it not about me? And, oh yeah, he's like. What is wrong with you, mom? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Big eyes. Or maybe he's like, what's wrong with you, Lindsay? 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 <laughs> I don't know. All right. Well, on that note, should we move on to talking a little bit about how we deal with self-doubt and comparisonitis? I don't know if Joanna penned, penned that term or not, or if she got it from somewhere else, but I just use it now. Uh, and then the other issues may, we may deal with as authors, because I don't think this stuff ever goes away. I don't know how big of a seller you have to be before you stop looking at other people's sales and how they're ranking in the store and like, why can I not sell that well? And after you've been in the game for a while too, you this is actually probably more of a problem for you. You compare yourself with past successes. So I get really bummed out when a new series doesn't hit as well as an older series did because I like remember that potential and then I start analyzing and I'm like, well, why did this one not kind of strike a chord as much? Were there not enough dragons? Were there too many spaceships? Was it the characters just didn't, you know, grab people as much? And, you know, that can make that can be a little productive if you, you know, you want to strive for more success as you go forward, but it can be a little self-destructive too and, and make you a little afraid to take risks and play around because you're like, well, I'm not sure this is going to sell as well as the other stuff. So that's definitely, that's kind of comparisonitis with other authors and also with myself is, is an ongoing challenge. And, you know, I always, I don't read negative reviews specifically because I know that stuff really gets me down. Like some one person, nine people will say something good. One person will say something bad. And if the bad thing actually kind of resonates with you and there's some truth in it, I think that leads to more self-doubt you know, or questioning what you're going to do with the rest of the series. And the problem, you know, I, I read it early on from my early books. I think there's something to be gained from feedback as you, in your early career. But eventually you get to the point where you have beta readers you trust or you just trust yourself if you don't use beta readers because you feel like you're pretty confident in what you want to do at that point. And you want to just write the story you want to tell. You can't let the fans drive you in one direction too much. Uh, I know Joe sometimes says like, hey, do you want me to write this or this or this? You know, what do you want? And seems to like that. Whereas I'm a little bit, I have to really write what I want to write or it's a real slog for me if I'm trying to please somebody else. And that is, of course, the struggle between being an artist and being kind of an entrepreneur, trying to balance things that we always have to work with and so lots of self-doubts especially whenever I do a new series in a new genre like I'm doing now I, I'm I feel glad that so far the reception has been pretty good on my new series like, I'm like because I was writing in first person for the first time in years I think I've only done a couple books that way and, uh, but it seemed like right for the character and right for the genre so fortunately it's got okay I, I feel good that I haven't ever had anything really bomb hugely and like I always have enough readers that will try anything at this point, and I'm very thankful to them for <laughs> trying. Even you know, I've written some middle grade goblin stories that people actually purchased. It was the first thing I ever published, and I did like a contemporary, I don't know what it was, mystery romance. I didn't really know about branding or niches or genres or anything like that at the time. So, uh, what about you guys? Uh, what kind of self doubts do you deal with? Well, I definitely have uh, have problems with comparisonitis. Like I, you, you mentioned comparing to yourself, uh, and that I've had a big problem with that this past year. 
because I had a couple of really good years in a row and I've had a couple of really bad years in a row. And I'm like, I don't understand how I'm getting worse at this. And it like, it, it puts you into a terrible mindset. And I also co-host a podcast with Lindsay Broker. So it's easy to compare myself to more successful people on a regular basis. But, um, I, uh, I find I also had to stop reading negative reviews. I, I, I had to stop reading positive reviews after a while because I, I found a way to become like, oh, I, I wasn't expecting this to be very good, but it really surprised me. And I'm like, why weren't you expecting it to be very good? Like, like I can turn anything into a, into a, a thing to fixate on. So like, well, I have I, to ask you then. I have to break in and ask. When you guys get emails that start out with a lot of praise, are you waiting for the butt? Because yeah. you, you're like, this, there's going to be a butt. Well, I'm just, it's like negative mindset all the way. Exactly. <laughs> Go ahead. Like, I had to th- put that in there. This is a criticism sandwich, right? I'm just getting through the, t- the first decker of a criticism sandwich. And I'm going to have to like really hope that the second slice of bread is pretty good because that criticism is going to hurt. Yeah, I always assume that people are setting up for that. But uh, uh, strangely, one of the main doubts I have is whether or not I can still write. Uh, every single time I revisit an old series, and again, I'm doing it three times this year, uh, I, I feel like the entire, the, through the entire process, I'm thinking, this isn't flowing, there's something wrong with this, it's too hard, it shouldn't be hard, it's too forced, I've lost the touch. It's every single time, every new book I write, there's a stage in it when I'm like, I don't know how to do this anymore. And if I go back and reread something of mine, which again, if I'm writing something I haven't written in a year, I have to at least refresh on the old stuff, I'll feel like that's okay. Like, oh, this is pretty good. I can see, you know, okay, this is a pretty good series. I like that character. I like this phrase. And I'm like, but I wrote that. While I was writing that, I was concerned that I didn't know how to write. And now it's a year and a half older. And now I suddenly think it's good. So my self-doubt is perpetual that somehow I have lost the capacity to write. Uh, And when things start to slip, I'm always 100% certain that there's no way I'm going to turn it around. And again, I've been in the business for 10 years and, and it, I've been able to keep it going for all that time. But I'm always like, this is it. This is the one that screws up. And unlike Lindsay, uh, I have had some really gigantic duds. So when something starts to go wrong for me, it's never, uh, it's always like, oh, it's another one of these. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like on the plus side, it means like I rebounded from all those. So maybe I can rebound from this one. But on the minus side, it's like, why do I keep doing this? How does this keep happening? I should know better by now. So yeah, uh, self-doubt and comparison is a gigantic problem for me and I don't have a solution. Yeah, um, when Lindsay was talking about the the other shoe to drop, he was like, there's a butt in there. You're the butt. <laughs> it's like oh, Legos, you know, you're like, you know, the Lego movie. I'm like, uh, sometimes you're like, everything's really, really good. And then they have the other shoe drop. I've actually had emails where people are like, I loved it. I loved it, but, you know, and so I think there is a reason why a lot of us feel that way, you know, because we, those, those ones are painful because they're like, I loved everything about it, but I'm like, well then just don't email me because your butt <laughs> is not, is not applicable. It, I don't even care. It's not something my main target readers even care about, you know? Um, but I think the hardest thing for me is, is, um, discouragement, honestly. Um, a little bit of comparisonitis. I've actually been able to really, really work on that in the last few, um, in the last couple of years, like two, three years ago, I went through a huge burnout phase that was absolutely horrible. It was the worst burnout phase I've ever been in. And a lot of it was because of comparisonitis. And now that Lindsay's leaving, it was because of Lindsay. <laughs> Just kidding. She went to take care of her dogs. Um, but seriously, like that, that, um, the comparison, comparison itis. And I recognized I had a pattern where 
I would go and check and see how other authors were doing. And I would look at their ranks and I'd be like, what are they selling? How are they doing? And then that was actually what ended up starting my spirals into like the cycle of discouragement and depression. And I'm not good enough and I'm not doing well enough that that really, really was damaging. And so I had to set a rule for myself. And for two years, I did not allow myself to go. And I still don't just out of habit now did not allow myself to go and see um, how other authors were doing. Because as soon as I did, it would lead to discouragement. And I knew from that pattern, then that was what was going to happen. And now that I'm talking, he's like, mommy's talking again. So now he gets active. Um, But so I have to be really careful that I don't actually pay attention to what other authors are doing apart from learning what the market wants. Because when I'm seeing how well other authors are doing, I mean, Lindsay is a very successful author. And I think Lindsay would agree she's a successful author. And yet she just admitted that comparisonitis is an issue for her. I don't think that will ever go away for us. And so we have to make sure that we're doing things that make it so that we're not it's, we're not leading ourselves into that downward spiral, spiral of discouragement. Um, I don't deal with a whole lot of doubts. I'm an optimist. You know, I'm just kind of eternally optimistic. But I have the dreamer personality where I will spend more time dreaming about what I would do if I were successful rather than working on becoming successful. And that's been something I've really had to deal with over the years. Um, I've gotten much more productive since having kids and much better at ma- maintaining my schedule just because I've been forced to do it since having kids. And so that's helped out a lot. But I have to be careful that I don't overanalyze and overplan because, I mean, it's better to just do rather than plan. I mean, who was it? Um, never mind that quote. is Amelia Earhart. Earhart? Earhart? Whatever. She was like, um, the hardest decision is the decision to act. The rest is tenacity. I don't always maintain. I don't always have that tenacity, you know? I make the decision and then I think about it. And I think about it. I'm like, oh, it would be so cool if I did this, so cool if I did that. And then sometimes I don't ever act. And that's a problem. Um, anyway, so the things that I like discouragement, like why did this not work out the way it did last time? Or, um, I've been working really hard and really smart on this thing. And why is it, why am I not back at my previous levels? Am I missing something? So discouragement and discontent are huge deterrents for me, um, to my happiness and therefore my levels of productivity. And so the comparisonitis, of course, and then that. So you just have to recognize what is it that makes you discouraged? Don't do what makes you discouraged, you know, put it like a little trigger. So like something that, you know, like write a note on the wall, you know, that is related to what it is that causes discouragement that reminds you to stop and don't go down that rabbit hole. Because sometimes self pity and self doubt rewards you, but in a negative sense. So like, oh, it feels good to feel down. But that's not productive. You know, that just leads to more downness. And so you've got to find a way to break your cycle before it starts. I'm also a big fan of saving really nice reader emails that are like, that don't have a but. Because, you know, because we've all got on them and that's why we feel each one is setting us up for that because it's a pattern, you know, there's been enough that have come in with that, but, but um, then you get some really genuine, just really nice ones or think people say, your books really helped me through a tough time. And I save those just in case I need to like remind myself someday that there's like people that really enjoy what I do because it's, it is your own mind. <laughs> your mind is your own worst enemy, I think in a lot of cases. Um. I did want to kind of finish talking about self-doubt by saying, you know, we all have this. And I think if you don't have it, you're going to have a hard time actually writing authentic characters because um, you you hear a lot of advice about make likable characters, have them save the cat in chapter one. So you know that this is a good, 
good peep. And it's not necessarily that that actually draws us to characters. It's about connecting with them. And when they share a lot of the same fears and vulnerabilities that you do, you're more drawn to them. It has nothing to do with whether they're good people or not. You know, you can connect with an anti-hero if he's got the same fears as you do. But, um, you know, and these characters... They're, you're drawn to them because they're like you, but they get to say all the things you can't say and do all the cool stuff you don't get to do and have the happily ever after that sometimes is not as easy to find in real life. So I, I say, you know, <laughs> embrace your self-doubt. Yes, that sounds cheesy because it's, you know, any, any of this stuff we experience as creators is what helps us make more authentic characters that people can connect to. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, like before I go on to that, I just want to say the thing that I do in terms of uh, like, as you say, saving the, the nice emails to go back and read, I have a file that is labeled proof of awesome. And whenever I do something that's like inarguably uh, evidence of success, I will screen print it and save it in the proof of awesome. Like that's when I was number six in the genre, you know, <laughs> and I go back and see, see, that was, that was you too. You did that. Uh, but yeah, so I absolutely agree that like, you know, self-doubt and just accepting these parts of yourself makes you a better author. The cast of my books are basically just me through a prism. And I think that's the case for a lot of authors and perhaps all authors. Uh, I'm not the kind of person who believes that art requires suffering. There's some people out there who say you can't write authentically until you, you know, you've had trials and tribulations. Those are going to come no matter what. You don't have to worry about like, I haven't suffered enough to be an artist. But I do think that the best characters come from something that's honest. And it could be as simple as this joke is corny, but I like it. So I'm going to put it in the story. Or it could be um, that argument that I've been relitigating in my head for the last six months. It's going to go in the book. And this time I'm going to win because it's just that's a thing that everybody can can relate to. And it just, you know, when you see something of yourself in a character, and as Lindsay says, you just start to like that character. Or when you see something that you dislike, like, for the same reason that you dislike it, and that's why a villain is a villain, then you don't have to, the villain does not need to get built up in any earth-shattering way beyond that. If that villain has the mannerism that you hate as a person, you'll hate them implicitly. There's an episode of Simpsons where they're trying to set up a movie, and he says, uh, we'll just make the villain the dog. Like, how will people blame the dog? He's like, give the, make the dog give a shifty look, and people will, 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 accuse the dog like all you have to do is is take that thing that makes you you know that you consider to be just evil and put that into your villain or you take that thing that you consider to be this is what a good person was doing you put that into your hero and if it comes from you and you're a real person then your your characters will feel like real people so there's there's value in all of these little bits and pieces of your life and to be fair uh Taking that that like anxious part of you and putting it into a character and just putting it out there is incredibly therapeutic, and it generally makes me feel better to just sort of put the thing that I was afraid of on the page and then have it be defeated. It's just like, oh, oh, that's not in me anymore. Like I write to get stuff out of me sometimes. Um, and I'm I'm going to argue or not argue. I'll just make the point that I'll bet most of our listeners are real people, and so. <laughs> So they should be able to create real characters, <laughs> characters based on real people. Um, most of my characters deal with heartbreak in some way. Um, 
So it, it's just something that I deal with. Obviously, we're human. We all have heartbreak. Um, my readers requested I write a series about Lizzie, the sidekick in my Mosaic Chronicles. And it just, it, I was like, really? Uh, I don't want to write about her. Uh, it never interested me until I decided to do it from her perspective as an adult after she'd been through seven years of like horrible, horrible stuff going on. Um, she was flighty and ditzy in college. And my main character was not. My main character is pretty serious. Um, and between the Mosaic Chronicles and, and Lizzie series, she goes through a few experiences that add dimension, depth her, her dimension and depth to her personality, like a fiance dying, which I may or may not have experienced myself, and other heartaches. And like what Joe was saying, it's cathartic. You know, I found it, if I put some of that into my characters, it helps me deal with similar experiences and making my readers care more about my, my characters. And plus, it, it's authentic, you know, because that's hard, that's heartache that I've experienced and I understand. And so, um, but you don't have to understand, I mean, you don't have to have experienced all of these things to make your characters be approachable and likable. I mean, like if you have, um, I don't know, like you, you have a family member or a sister or a brother or somebody, I guess family members don't include sisters and brothers. <laughs> if you have somebody you know and care about who has been through something difficult, just as an, you know, a side stander who is emotionally involved, you're able to write uh, that sort of a situation better than somebody who has never done it. And so writing characters that have been through these things really does, um, it's cathartic. It helps us. It makes it so that we are writing characters who readers can root for and cheer for. All right. We're actually just about done. I threw a quote in here that, you know, one of those quotes that is helpful to come back to. And I think I pillaged it from one of Brene Brown's talks. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of her. If you haven't, go out there. She's got a couple of great TED Talks, but um, she's actually got one specifically where she talks to creatives. And I will grab the YouTube link and share it in the show notes just in case. Uh, she, you know, talks about like, courage and self-doubt and shame and, and all these things like that. And it can be, you know, I don't know. I found them very helpful to listen to and I re-listen to them every now and then. And she's got some books out too, but she does not narrate her own books, which bums me out because after I've heard somebody give talks, I want to hear them <laughs> narrate their own audio books. But um, anyway, the quote is from Howard Thurman. Don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. So I'll just leave it at that because I, I don't know. I, I'm no, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to comment on it. <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> Moving on to uh, next speaker, Joe. It's good. It's inspirational. And uh, I've got someone perhaps is not as you know deeply philosophical, but I got a quote from my dad, Vinny Lalo. Uh, who said uh, very simply, this goes speaks very well to the burnout we're talking about. If you can't afford it on 40 hours a week, you can't afford it. Uh, he worked his entire life getting every single piece of overtime as he could. He's worked, a, I, I can't even tell you what job he had because he has had so many. He just retired from being a car inspector for Port Authority Trans Hudson. Before that, he was a butcher. He worked at McDonald's. He worked at the phone company. He, he worked uh, building uh, I, uh, steel drums. He whatever he needed to do to make ends meet, and he spent so much time burning the candle at both ends. The main thing that he learned was maybe I shouldn't be burning the candle at both ends. Uh, you can push yourself hard, and you should, and you can push yourself hard for a really long time. Uh, sometimes you'll have to, but at the end, there's going to have to be a human being left over at the end of the day to spend that money, or there was no reason to do it in the first place. So you've got to give yourself some time too. So sometimes you look at the work that needs to be done to get past that next hump, and maybe you think to yourself, maybe that time is better spent on me. And 
it's it's one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten from anyone, let alone from a family member. That's really good advice, actually. I really like that. Don't, if you can't afford it in 40 hours a week, you can't afford it. And yes, I have a memory that good. I did not just read that off of the document. <laughs> um, but um, the, I really like quotes. I was glad that Lindsay put that in there. Um, the one that I've got written on my bathroom mirror right now is by Devin G. Durant. And he says, small efforts sustained over time can produce significant work results. Um, and that works really well for all areas of life, but especially in writing, you know, so it just gives me motivation to focus on daily maintenance in, in my writing and cleaning, of course, and feeding my kids and things like that. But, um, I do know that I do need to be better at those, the small movements every single day because they get you where you're going. All right. And with that, I think we've, uh, we, we've been talking long enough. It's time to wrap this up. Uh, thank you for listening. And a thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can leave a question or a comment or find the show notes at six figure authors with the number six dot com. Uh, also, if you want to join our listeners only Facebook uh, search for six figure authors or click the show notes, you'll, there'll be a link there. They'll ask you a question about who's got the best beard. And I think you can probably figure out who it is. Uh, and uh, as for that, that's about it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye, everyone. So long, everybody.